This we go, we've gone out to plant other churches, and now the work is we're overseeing groups of churches in this nation and in other countries. So now what happens is this: they start taking missions offerings. Paul introduces the idea of giving to a church that doesn't exist yet. We're going to go plant a church, give to that work. And they start taking up offerings to plant churches in other countries. And then Paul comes back and says, now we planted this church, I need more money. Because of the work that's going on there, this huge open door that I have, I need more money and I need your help because they're desperate over here. The economic system is really bad and we need your help to make this happen. And they get it, so he begins taking up missions offerings as well. And when he did this, something incredible begins to happen. And you really need to grasp this. It goes from God multiplying people who get saved to God multiplying the number of churches that exist. Multiplying the number of churches. Once offerings are taken to plant churches, the churches, the number of churches multiply. The kingdom explodes with numbers in various nations and cities that are, ta- that are there. Gifts are taught. People are equipped. The Holy Spirit is active. The ascension gifts are present. Powers of darkness are recognized and overcome. And from church history, we now begin to see four distinct models of churches that are formed. Four distinct models of churches that are formed. Those four are basically this. A village church, a city church, a regional church, and an apostolic resource center. Okay, so let's take a look at the, at the first one, the village church. The village church is kind of like a house church model. And all four of these are very good, and all four of these impact certain people types and have great benefits. And they have pros and cons about each one. It's a con in light of where God wants you to be, but it's not a con to somebody else. For example, the village church. The village church it's kind of a house church leadership model where the, pa- the founding pastor grows the church to the level of his comfort. In that, you have great relationship that's happened. You have influence within the village or the neighborhood that, that you have, and everybody knows who you are, and they come to you in times, in times of need. It's, not, it's maybe not more than a small group, but boy, does it have intimate relationship. And that's very, that's very good. But in intimate relationship, they, they have a tendency to get locked into this small group of people and not know the outside world exists. And so they don't have outside teaching that comes in to add to the DNA pool. And so they end up having a limited amount of understanding to the expertise of the senior pastor. But intimate relationships and growth in that intimate relationship. That's good. They have a, a so their focus is going to be centered on the interest that they have, not a global interest. It's a village interest pool. And they have a limited worldview, uh, worldview because of that. The next one is the city church. The city church seeks, they begin to realize that there needs to be church government and some administration here and 
and some type of, of ruling, understanding, and, and clear boundaries of what's acceptable behavior and not acceptable behavior. The, so what happens is the founding pastor or the senior elder, he then says, and the elders agree with him, that we need to bring in people who have certain expertise to help where they're weak. So if I'm not a very good administrator, I need to bring an administrator into the mix to help administrate what has what needs to go on. Because if I don't, the church will be limited to my weakness. And a wise leader says, in order for the church to grow, it cannot be limited by my limitations. I bring people in in order to help round out the sphere that we need. So we're not like an egg. Very strong in gifts, but very poor in administration. So it would be lopsided if we had that. So it begins to bring in people who are strong when they're weak. This type of leadership program and this type of church begins to gain influence in the city. And the name begins to be known by others there. So when you say the name, let's just use Breakpoint Bridge, they go, oh yeah, I've heard of that church. A village church would say Breakpoint Bridge and they go, Breakpoint Bridge, I've never heard of that. Where are they at? Well, they've been here for five years. You're kidding, I've never heard of them. That's because influence is in the village, and the city church influences in the city. And so people in the city have heard of you. And small groups begin to be formed within the city because you realize you can't sacrifice intimate relationship. So you realize the value of that, and you then have small groups that continue to meet and continue to help people at the grass the grassroots level. This forms intimate relationships and allows people to feel comfortable and they know somebody when they walk in the church door. They may not know all 500 who are here, but they know three or ten. And so they feel comfortable because somebody will say hi to me when I'm here. They start going, they realize that, you know what, there's stuff out there we don't know about. And so they go to conferences. Now, I'm not talking about becoming a conference junkie. And I've spoken in thousands of conferences in the last 30 years. So I'm not talking, and I'm not against conferences, but if if conference doesn't change you, you can become a conference junkie because you go for the experience and not for the change. You want to change when you go someplace. I want to go someplace that when I leave there, I'm different than I was when I came. If you don't, that's a conference junkie. You're in it for the high of the moment. Not in it for the change of the life. And so, keep that in mind. So, we, But we do go to conferences. We have a kingdom mindset, not an empire mindset. An empire mindset says this. We're having a conference for the city. We're inviting all the churches to come. An empire mindset said, well, says, well, what is, what's in it for me? What's in it for me? A kingdom mindset says, this is for the advancement of the king. Let's go. A kingdom mindset says, when there's God's moving in another, another place in the city, let's go help them because we know that when 5,000 people suddenly show up and they're not expecting it, they're going to need help with children. They're going to need help with parking. They're going to need help with janitorial services. Let's go help them. If God's chosen to move there, let's go join what they're doing, helping them do it, not lose our identity because when, when the move lifts, so we, come, we, we still have what God's called us to do. Kingdom mindset. Not empire mindset. So in this kingdom mindset, you begin to think, you know what? We need to have a missions program. And one of your greatest growth opportunities will happen when you begin to sow seeds into foreign entities and you will grow like never before. 
Not only will you grow corporately, you will grow individually financially because it is spreading the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is both personal and corporate growth that you will see. But here again, you're being now invited to the next level. Right now, you're a village church. And God's wanting to make you a city church. That's the transition phase you're in right now. You have a worldview, but it's a limited worldview because you're just now seeing the value of maybe doing something in another country. So it's limited. That you will get another opportunity to grow. And the next church, the next size of church that you'll be offered an opportunity to grow to is what's called the regional church. The regional church has apostolic input. So not only does it believe in apostolic government and elder, elder rule and a, with a senior elder, it actually now begins to believe that, my goodness, there's, there's five ministries that are out there. There's ascension gifts that are out there. So there's apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. And we need input from them into us in order for us to understand what needs to be done out. So we we have input from the outside in to build us internally so now we can go inside out to do more. And you begin to develop. And a region is only going to be, you're only going to have regional influence if you reach out and do things within the region. So it's the influence you have because of what you do. You have no influence in the region if you don't have regional activity. If you don't do regional stuff. So you have apostolic input, prophetic input. Those five ascension gifts mentioned in in Ephesians 4. The kingdom mentality really begins to take hold. Seldom do you hear the phrase, well, what's in it for us? That's not even a question that, that really is on the screen now because that got dealt with at the city church level. Now you're looking at what's in it for the kingdom. How can the kingdom grow? What is going to happen? I strengthen the people. I equip the people. The people go out and do. The people send funds out and do. And now all of a sudden we are growing and there is influx of people and there's outgo of people. All the time. All the time. And it's, you don't try to hold them. When you try to hold them, you will guarantee you, you will shrink. When you, ha- when you hear phrases like, oh, don't, don't go start another church, or don't go work in Kenya, or, or don't do something in Zimbabwe, don't do anything like that, you know, stay here, we have such a great church. Oh, no. When you hear, stay here, it's the death gurgle. You are on the road to dying the moment you hear that. You will only be vibrant and have regional influence if you give to the region. You have to send people out. You have to equip people. You have to prepare people. You have to teach people. You have to release people in order for yourself to grow. You don't do it to get. You do it to give. But the influx of what happens when you give with a clear heart is amazing what happens to you. If you don't give with a clear heart, it's not called giving, it's called greed. If you give expecting to get, it's called greed. And greed won't get you anything. But giving with a clear heart, joyful giving, will get you everything. Because you're really giving for the sake of the kingdom, not for the sake of you. So you begin to think strategically. You begin to look for staff members to build the church vision. And you recognize we need certain skill sets now. 
We didn't need them before, but we need them now. We need somebody who's really expertise in children. We need somebody who's really expertise in evangelism. We need somebody who's really expertise in prayer or in, in the, in the helps ministry. We need experts. And sometimes you get those from within because people grow from within. Sometimes you have to bring people into the mix because if you don't keep bringing people into the mix, it's like inbreeding and the DNA mutates. You have to have people coming in. You have to be sending people out. You have to raise up people from within to do the work, but you have to bring people from the outside in to help with the work or your DNA will mutate. Now your influence begins not only to spread to other churches in the city, but your influence begins to spread to other churches in the region. They begin to call you and ask you for help. They begin to say, hey, how did you do that? You know, send somebody to our church to teach us how you did what you did. We need help with our children's ministry. Could you send your children's director to tell us what to do? And so you develop programs, teaching programs. You start developing curriculum because you realize... We can't keep sending our people out and teaching and having them come back. It's far, far more efficient if we have a curriculum that we can send out. And so you start developing these type of things. You you begin to hold uh, small seminars because you say, okay, we'll teach, another, instead of us sending our people out to 50 different churches, we'll have 50 churches come in and teach them all at once. So you have an economy of scale that begins that begins to happen and you begin to train them and begin to teach them and you begin to look, the leaders in, the, in the, your body begin to look for other leaders who can teach the material and who have that in their heart and they absorb it and it becomes revelation to them and they feed that material out to others and then the feeding of it out to others, others get equipped and you begin to multiply yourself in, in, in ways that you don't even know. It's like interest in of money in a bank. You don't even know you're getting more money, but you're getting it every day. It's compounding every day. Regional church mentalities. Yes, you still have small groups and you still emphasize small groups. In fact, it becomes expected that everybody is in some type of a small group setting. It becomes a normal activity, not something that you have to keep harping on. It becomes a way of life in your midst. At the same time, not only do you have apostolic input, you actually begin to see fledgling gifts appear in your own ranks. Really gifted prophetic types. Really gifted apostolic types. They're young, they're immature, but you begin to see them and you mark them. You go, I'm going to watch this young man. I'm going to watch this young woman. There's something special about them. There is a gift here. And you watch them. Leadership watches them. They don't say, hey, I'm watching you. But they watch you. I watch you. I watched you this morning because I am looking for you. Because I want to be back here in five years and see what you have become. When I hear Gary and Karen talking about you, I want to know, oh, I remember her. I remember him. And I will remember you. Because I remember spirit. It etches in my spirit. Your spirit etches in my spirit. And you just ask people who have come up to me. Do you remember me? I remember you. I don't remember 100% of people, but I remember a lot. Because I feel your spirit. And it's not just me. It's others will feel that too. 
And they're looking. God's looking. He knows you're there. But when He says He's looking, it's like, okay, is it your time now? He's letting you know it's time. Or He's letting you know, wait. So these begin to develop in, in your midst. Growing, you have a growing world view. And you start looking at things that are happening in the world. And you start reading things that are, that are, are also out there in the world. It's not just that you read church material. You actually read some secular stuff too. You know, I read secular stuff. I read church stuff and I read secular stuff. And I'll read about 50 books a year. And some of them are trash and I'd never recommend them. But at least I know what they think. And I know how to argue that thought process. Others I recommend. And, and probably half of those books are from church circles and half of those books are, are from out, out in the world. Because people see things out in the world that are very, very good. You never learn about disruptive, disruptive technology if you don't read something about disruptive technology. And you know what? And when I, what happens with me, I read something in the world about that, about say disruptive technology, and I go, "Oh my goodness, there's disruptive." It may not be technology; it may be disruptive spiritual stuff happening that absolutely change the way the church is going to be held and the way church functions in the next decade. There's a disruptive technology that is taking place in the church that's going to change. You know what a disruptive technology is today? Here's a disruptive technology. The thought that God would rather have an interactive church than an entertaining church. There's a disruptive technology for you. What would that mean? It doesn't mean you you do less worship. In fact, you do greater worship. But it's interactive. What does it mean? Interactive. It means that you don't just teach people about stuff. You take them out to do stuff. You don't just just say, well, here's how to interpret a dream. You say, now that you've learned how to interpret a dream, we're going to go out on the street and interpret dreams. We had over 400 people in 2006. We had over 400, we don't have the final totals for 2007 yet, but in 2006 we had over 400 people who gave their life to the Lord in dark, dark settings like in Salem, at Haunted Happenings, where 400,000 people, witches from all over the world, come there. And we had a, over 100 witches give their life to the Lord in 2006. We had people from all kinds of walks of life give, giving their life to the Lord. Why? Because they had a dream interpreted. They had a prophetic, a prophetic word given to them. They had an encouraging word given to them. They experienced, they experienced spiritual cleansing, which is like deliverance. We just changed some of the wording. Instead of calling it prophecy, we call it spiritual reading. And people go, whoa. We open up dream cafes. And we have people standing in line, 10 and 20 at a time, standing in line to get a dream interpreted or to get an encouraging word or to have something happen. Why? Because God loves them. And we love them. And they just don't know that this is God. They don't know that God believes in this. We've had, you can't believe how many people that we have when we do these type of things, which is all the time. We do this type of thing, they're going to be crying, they're going to, snot's going to be flying everywhere. You know, it's amazing what happens. And they go, are you sure God knows you're doing this? <laughs> or you hear things like, I, the church doesn't do this. Are you the church? 
Well, we're, we're followers of Jesus. Yeah, I know. That's the church, isn't it? I said, well, it's some churches and it's not some churches. I said, well, I didn't know the church believed in dreams or that there could be spirits out there. Oh, yeah. yeah. You just, not many people know about it. We're trying to let people know about it. And it's amazing what happens when we do this type of thing. But, so I'm saying you get outside the walls of the church and not just by standing up, putting on an A-frame sign, walking up and down the hall, up and down the street, so the bullhorn says, you're going to hell, you're going to hell, God hates you until you come to Him. No, it says this in Scripture, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He loved you when you're the ugliest. How much more does he love you now? You've cleaned up a little. Ooh, you look nice when you clean up. Wow. So this, this issue of the regional church is very important. And you'll be offered an invitation to, to go that direction as time takes, takes, takes its maturation process with you. You have a growing evangelism effort because you don't want church transfer. You really need new converts. Coming into the kingdom. And you, prayer begins to take on an even greater emphasis because you realize nothing happens without fervent, effectual prayer. Prayer begins to come. And so you start saying, we need to have nights of prayer, days of prayer, weeks of prayer. We need to start taking on an idea of how to strategically grow into a 24-7 house of prayer. Why? Because God will lay it on people's heart to pray. Because that's part of that's part of a calling on people's lives, and you need to make room for various callings that are going to come come through your church doors, and that He uses them for things to get done. Everybody can't lock themselves away and and be a prayer warrior, but everybody can feel the benefit of those who do. I've heard people say, "Well, if I locked myself in the room, nothing would ever get done." No, no, no. To those who are called, locking yourself in your room, everything gets done. What you don't want to do is if you're called to be an evangelist, you don't want to lock yourself in the room. You do what you're called to do. It's really that simple. Do what you're called to do. Regional churches find various niches that they can place and open up for their people to walk into so you feel I'm finally doing what I was created to do. Well, then the apostolic resource centers. Here comes a, a large jump. Apostolic resources centers. They have a, 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 an absolute mandate to, to think in the terms of kingdom and not in terms of empire. They now have apostolic government that's growing within them. They not only just notice that there are apostolic or prophetic type of people, teachers and evangelists and so on, kind of rising up in their midst. Now they have started to mature in their midst. And then not only are they maturing in their midst, they're starting to send apostolic type of teams out from the, the church, out to various churches or out to various nations. And those nations are being changed because of the teams that go out that have government and revelation and teaching capability and salvation. Conviction of sin follows those evangelists that, that go out there and the teachers equip the saints for the work and the service of the ministry are those who, who are growing in this become equipped in all ways. They have apostolic team government. So now you actually have a man and, or a woman who has influence in other churches and other churches are birthed out of the spirit that they carry. 
They carry a spirit. And, and other leaders start saying, I want to be under your ministry, under your covering, because I know that if I do, I will grow and I will learn, and the Spirit is with you, and I want Him with me. More than what I have myself, I want to add to my anointing, your calling and your anointing on mine, and things will really explode. That's why you place yourself under people. Apostolic type of ministries, and you start seeing that with, even within your own ranks. Leadership comes because of that. Skilled leadership comes and joins the church to be a part of a church vision. Why? Because they see their future can happen in your midst. Their, their vision can happen within your vision. Your vision becomes large enough that it will contain the vision of skilled men and women who have corporate type of mindsets, but have a, I have a feeling of, I haven't fulfilled. You know, I talk to men and women all the time who are incredibly rich and tell me they haven't, they don't feel fulfilled. They're looking for something that will fulfill them. And all they're doing is spending their time, they used to spend it making money, and now they're spending all the time protecting their money. And they realize that nothing in their life is changing because all they have is a protection mentality. And they're just stayed in neutral. And they realize money isn't fulfilling me. And they see what's going on in your midst and they say, my skill set can be used here. I can find fulfillment here. It's, it's needed. Now, it it's, doesn't mean that that just because you walk in and you're a millionaire doesn't mean you get to run the show because you now have to make a transition from running your corporate ministry to to now following. And this is what the problem with the rich young ruler was. There's two two problems. We think we think it was one. Jesus said to the rich young young ruler, "You've really done well. Sell everything you have and come follow me." We typically focus on sell everything you have, which is what Jesus told him to do. In other words, don't own anything you have. Everything is mine. If I let you keep it, you keep it. If I don't, you don't. That's really what he was saying. But he was also saying one more thing in that to the rich young ruler. See, sell everything you have is one thing. That's easy. Come and follow for a leader is hard. In other words, give up your right to lead and follow me. Become a servant of of me. You're a leader now. Give up your leadership and follow. That's hard. And there's few corporate people who can do that. But there but the ones who do are incredible and they will find you because they have a nose for success. It's an innate thing that God gave them to just go They recognize it. So skilled leadership joins the church to be a part of the vision because they see their vision, their vision can happen here. Influence spreads to other churches, not only within your village and not only within your city and not only within your region, but now to the nation and to the nations. People hear of you. Interaction happens on a regular basis with other pastoral groups. You take on the mindset of an army leader and your, 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 your people, your congregation takes on the mindset of an army and not of an audience. See, entertainment church has an audience mentality. But what interactive church has an army mentality. Things are going to change. 
And things will change in my life, and things will change in this city, and things will change in this region, and things will change wherever we see the team. Things are going to change because God is with us, period. You have this inbred confidence that happens, and it can't happen. It can't happen if you only gaze at your navel. Yeah. Any belly button fuzz there? It only happens when you reach out. Look outward and reach outward. You focus on what am I here to do, not what am I here to receive. An audience is what am I here to receive. An army is what am I here to do. This will make that interactive church vastly different than what it is today. It has an idea of subduing the earth, fulfilling the original mandate that the kingdom of God has come. And we are here to change it. And wherever our feet walks, it will elicit a change in this ground. And it will be different. As I mentioned yesterday, I am not. A, you, may, you may go into a meeting hoping a contract to sign. But you realize you're not going into the meeting so much for the contract signature as for the change in the person you're going to meet who needs your spirit to touch them more than they need to sign your contract. Meetings are for the impact of your presence, not for the contract. That's a byproduct of the meeting. It's a signature. That's the byproduct. It's a heavenly thinking process, not an earthly thinking process. It's a subduing the earth process, not a, not a um, um, occupation. Meaning, I just occupy. I just sit here and, uh, you know, whatever happens, happens. And if it happens in my lifetime, it does. And if it doesn't happen in my lifetime, well, maybe it'll happen in my children's lifetime. And, you know, if I, don't, if I don't do anything, God will just make it happen. I'm not talking about justification by works. I'm talking about faith without works is dead. There's an intimate relationships that happen. And small groups begin to be an incredible fishnet where it's not just about equipping people. Small groups become a harvest field. And you touch many different people types that need to know Jesus. And your prophetic teams go to the small groups and minister prophetically. Your dream teams go to small groups and minister by interpreting dreams. You end up having neighborhood outreaches where you say, Come, there's been there's a group of people going to come. They've been trained under a system of, a Hebrew system of dream interpretation that's been passed down from generation to generation. And they will interpret your dreams. And so people from the neighborhood come, you know, come, there'll be, you know, finger foods and all da 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 and they'll have your dream interpreted, we'll get to know you, and etc. And people start coming to your house. People come because there's prophetic people. Spiritual readings are happening here. Ooh, spiritual cleansings will be happening here. All this type of thing. So your small groups begin to be very interactive as well. Not just coming to a small group to be fed, but coming to a small group to be changed. And then, then there's outward expressions even in your small groups. So kingdom-minded begins to happen. You not, only, you not only participate in missions programs, you actually now start and sponsor missions programs. You actually say, we're going to start a, a, an orphanage in Romania, and you send people back and forth from that orphanage. You have people who actually live there, who are called to live there. You have people who go back and forth to various people groups all around the world. You sponsor them. You are the main benefactor of their existence. And this is good. But you'll never have them tithing to you. 
What good is that going to do you? Well, as an apostolic resource center, you never think, what good is it going to do us? You think, what good can we do? Huge change. Huge change. From, from entertainment Christianity to interactive Christianity. You begin to, not only sponsor missions programs, you begin to hold constant training seminars, forums and conferences, finding out what the world thinks, doing things in, in, in settings that help people that don't even know Jesus yet. You do conferences just to help them. Knowing that the hook is set once they come in. Not forcing, not forcing them, loving them. And then watching God harvest them in due season. You invite other churches to attend. You have interaction between other pastors and other ministries and actually invite other pastors into your church because you, again, know you don't have all the answers. You, missions funding begins to happen. You send, as I said before, you send missions. You send people not only to vision, to visit missions outreaches, you send them to live in those outreaches. You develop short-term missions trips for members from a week to six months. And you, you take them to the various countries. And you understand, not everybody wants to go to Kenya. Some people want to go to St. Petersburg, Russia. Some people want to go to, to Chile. Some people want to go to Nicaragua. Some people, they, that's where their heart is. Some people want to go to the Philippines. Some people want to go to Indonesia. You open up missions opportunities because God will place that in the hearts of different people because not everybody wants to go to the same country. So it isn't like we, well, why would we want to do something in Indonesia? We're already doing something in Kenya. No, you're trying to meet what God has designed people to do. You open up doors so the designed person can walk through the door that's designed for them. And God is the great designer. You actually have so much giving that you develop disaster relief programs and foreign aid. You actually have people that are called to do relief work after tsunamis hit various countries. You send them there, and they'll go there with $100,000 in order to help different people. And you won't think anything, oh no, we just lost $100,000. You'll think, man, we should have given more. It's a whole different mindset. And you can't get there. You can't get there because you just decide to be it. You only decide to answer the invitation. And it's a process. You don't jump from village church to apostolic resource center overnight. Just like you don't, don't jump from playing bitty basketball to the, to the NBA overnight. There's a process. And God's issuing an invitation for you to go to the next process. You begin church planting. It won't be just that you hear Brother Bridge churches being planted. You actually are going to get to plant churches. The greatest thing is going to happen when bridge churches start planting bridge churches. And we've got, we've got five bridge churches right now that are planning on planting a church this year from their church. This evangelism drive and emphasis. And in doing so, what you end up doing is you end up developing leaders that you actually send one of your pastors to become the pastor of another church. And you know what? It doesn't have to be a bridge church. Because we're not only doing bridges, we're doing kingdom. One of the pastors just sent one of his associate pastors, one of our bridge churches just sent one of the associate pastors to be the senior pastor of a Baptist church. 
You said, can I do that? And I go, absolutely. This is kingdom stuff, not, not empire stuff. We're kingdom minded. This is about God. This is about the light of the world. And if he can put the, the light of the world is in that church, they need a leader that has the light of the world in them. That's what we want to do. So we furnish leadership for other churches. We have a growing political worldview and a growing involvement in that worldview. We have the courage to allow God to act on our behalf. They allow God, we allow God to have His testimony. We don't get so much into scheming that we rob God of His testimony. You know what? By sheer willpower, leaders can make things happen. And then what happens is they go, see what I did? See what we did? We did really good. And you just robbed God of His testimony. What if you bought a building for $20 million and God said, I would have given it to you for four? And I want a testimony. This is what God did for us. Yeah, well, you can make payments on twenty million, or you can you can have it for four. Which take your choice. Give me the credit and let me work. Be patient. Watch what I will do. I will orchestrate divine appointments and meetings and so on. Watch what I will do. Or you can do it yourself and have a monthly nut to crack every month. That's pretty big. Let God be God. Don't rob Him. Of his testimony. Don't make God do for you what he wants to freely do for you. You ever had any children that said, Dad, I want that gun. I want that gun. Dad, Dad, can I have that gun? hundred times he asked you, can I have that gun? You know, a toy gun. <laughs> yes, in this day and age, you better qualify that. This toy gun, or this race car, or, or whatever it is. Can I have this doll? Your daughter may say, etc. Can I have this? And you... You really want to get the doll for them, but by they've asked you the hundredth time, you go, no way I'm getting that doll for them. No way I'm getting that race car for them. No, no way. Don't make God do for you what He wants to do for you freely. They allow these type of churches, these, these apostolic resource centers, allow God to have His testimony. They don't scheme to make things happen. They act wisely to ensure that all God wants to happen takes place. They count the cost before they build and believe that God will meet the need. But they don't act presumptuously. They know the difference between presumption and faith. They do not have to have all the answers. They just, they just know that what God wants to happen, He will make a way to happen. They understand there will always be unknowns, but that's how God builds faith. You never have to have faith if you know the answer. Faith only is needed when you don't know the answer in light of where you've been told to go. They do not lean on one leader for their existence. It's not built around a one celebrity or one personality. It's built around this incredible creator, this incredible God, who loves us so enormously that He gave His only Son to die for our behalf so that we can have everlasting life. They know that none of the above happens without night and day prayer. At this point, you need a lot of prayer. You'll need, you'll need dozens of prayer teams. And you'll have prayer teams that develop for specific purposes. Direct purposes. You have prayer teams that all they do is pray for the worship team. You have prayer teams that all they do is pray for the missions. You have prayer teams that all they do is pray for the finances. You have prayer teams that all they do is pray for the pastoral staff. You have prayer teams that specialize in so many different areas. I, I'm here just to announce that you're being invited. Which one 
do you want to become? Let me give you a hint. As you go up the scale from village church to city church to regional church to apostolic resource center, the higher the scale, the greater the humility will be required. The higher the scale, the greater character will be required. Integrity will be required. Love will be required. The higher the scale, ego will have to be crucified. The higher the scale, historical models will not work. And if you try to build the church like your old church, or like you think it used to be, without revelation, you will be frustrated. Someone once said this, Obstacles are frightening things we see when we, when we take our eye off the goal. What do I mean by that? If you take your eye off the goal, then you'll look at the circumstances of today and think, no way. That's exactly what the ten spies did. Twelve, actually. Ten said, don't go. We're grasshoppers. We can't do anything. There are giants. Don't go. Two said, go. If you keep your eye on the goal, the promised land, you'll say what Joshua and Caleb did. Let's go immediately. They are our food. The Lord is with us. They will be defeated. That's keeping your eye on the goal. When you say, we're but grasshoppers in our own sight, you have just kept your eye on the moment. And you will always suffer defeat. Someone else said this, in each one of us, there are places we have never gone. Whoa. In each one of us, there are places we have never gone. And it's only by pressing our personal limits that we can ever find them. You can never get to where you've never gone unless you press your limitations. That's what God is saying to you. Press. Stretch your limitations. And if you do, you have an opportunity to go someplace you will never, you've never thought of before. Father, it is you who expands our way of thinking and our mindset.